Welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On this episode, I talk with Janelle Sergey, who is the associate head coach at St. Cloud State and also an Olympic silver medalist. We discuss her up and down journey to make the Olympic team, recruiting Europeans, and what she would do differently in her hockey career. This was a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to our guest, if you enjoyed this episode and want us to keep making more of them, please share it with teammates and friends. You can also subscribe, like, follow, and even better, it would be great if you would leave us a review. Now, let's drop the puck and get to the show. I'm very excited to have on the Champs at Podcast, Associate Head Coach of St. Cloud State Women's Hockey Program, Janelle Sergey, originally from Rockford, Illinois, but spent her formative years in Eagle River, Wisconsin. Uh, she then went to University of Wisconsin for four years, averaging almost one point per game and winning two NCAA Women's Hockey Championships. Uh, she then went on to play in the 2010 Olympics, winning silver, before turning her sights to coaching, and she is now in her seventh season at St. Cloud State. Welcome to the podcast, Janelle. Now. Thanks for having me. Hey, so why don't we start off with uh, a little bit of your hockey history, like we do all our guests, and tell us how you got into the great game of hockey and become such a phenomenal hockey player. Oh, man. Well, my parents just made a decision uh, at a young age that they wanted to get us out of the city of Rockford, Illinois. And my dad uh, was a builder, and he wanted to build a resort. So they actually bought a place in Eagle River, Wisconsin. And he successfully built six lodges and got into the resort ownership. And if you move to Eagle River, if you know anything about Eagle River, you play hockey if you live in Eagle River. So um, when I was about seven years old, my brother started playing. They needed another player on their team. So I looked at the little sister. So I got thrown in as a squirt C um, and just loved it ever since. So I played boys just a little bit. Uh, switched back to the girls, um, kind of the... It was U12s and then U18s to play with my sister. And then I just didn't feel challenged enough. So I went back to boys, played high school boys, and then along with some AAA here and there. Uh, can I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah. So first of all, did your brother make you play nets uh, to start? Because usually nope. we, we hear that they usually try and put the girl in, 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 in goal. Is that They didn't make you do that. I joke with my players right now as well. My husband said he'd suit up as goalie, and he has. You could not pay me enough. To put it in my head, I will not be in the net. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And what was one of the keys to your development, um, especially you know in your squirt peewee bantam days? Like, what made you so good at that? You know, at that age. I think uh, my competitive drive was a huge, uh, huge force, obviously, and then really some great coaches that uh, combined the really having fun with the competitive piece. So it wasn't always work, and it wasn't always fun. It was that balance between the two. Um, and I just love the game. I loved everything about it. I loved skating. And then back home, we would just always have a pond, uh, a rink on the pond in the backyard. Um, so you could just go out and screw around on the ice and just, I, I loved it. That's awesome. And uh, you are now officially the tallest guest on the podcast. We had uh, Jackie <laughs> Crum, who is five foot 11. And we had uh, Lindsay Fry, who is five foot nine. You are six feet tall. So six can you tell one, actually. Six one. Oh, gee, oh yep. so, so, so the, your, your elite your prospects <laughs> profile is inaccurate. All right. So six one. So can you tell us, uh, first of all, when did you get that tall? And was it an advantage playing against the boys? And then <laughs> what are the pros and cons of being so tall? Oh man, there's a lot of cons early on if you specify for hockey. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say I grew really early. They always called me all sorts of nicknames. I went with being tall, um, but I was very lanky, um, probably around the age 12. So I, I don't remember how tall I was, but I was at least a head taller than everyone on my team. When I actually switched to boys in high school, 
it was interesting because I was average height. All the guys were the same height as me. So it made me wow. feel like I wasn't very big. And then I'd switch to traveling AAA and I'd be a head taller than everyone. Uh, when I got to Wisconsin, I um, was just joking the other day when we did team pictures, I always got put right in the middle, right behind <laughs> the goalies in all four years. Nobody ever touched that spot because I was always the tallest on the team. But advantages, obviously, is my reach. Um, you know, you have a, a long stick being six one. So we used to uh, actually Brad Frost at Minnesota used to joke that you'd have to cover both me and my stick because my reach was so long. Um, so poke checking the puck away, obviously, being able to have uh, that reach worked to my benefit in playing. And uh, how about skating? Was uh, th did it help your speed by having a long stride, or was it you know you had it was a little more challenging getting around the ice given given? You know, just <laughs> Fortunately the... for me, I was um, I'm pretty athletic. I know when you shoot up as quick as I did in in height, sometimes you can have that awkward period of your kind of youth hockey where you're kind of lanky and awkward and kind of whatever. But I was pretty um, coordinated at an early age, so it definitely helped. I was always very fast on the ice. Um, and kind of use my my stride to my benefit. Um, the smaller areas were always the challenging ones, really trying to turn my feet over quick um, and, you know, do tight uh, tight turns and stops and starts, but I, I think it benefited. And did it help you goal scoring? Uh, well, that, that was more my shot, and that is thanks to both my high school coach and uh, Mark Johnson really turned me into a shooter. So um, they taught me to use my, my size and my reach to be able to get those shots off in, in any area kind of within about three feet of my body, I was able to manage to get a stick on that puck and get that puck to the net. All right, so I'm just curious, did, did they teach you like to put your, like take your stick, put it on the ice and then put your head where, you know, the, your blade was to see how far away the, the <laughs> puck and the net was from your actual blade from, versus from what you were actually seeing to, to show no. those angles? <laughs> no, they were very much um, all about um, teaching me to move that bottom hand a lot and being able to adjust where the puck is and not have to worry about kind of my perfect shot. It was all always about just taking the puck from where it was and getting it towards the net. It doesn't matter if it's hard, doesn't matter if it's soft or flimsy, whatever it is, just redirecting that puck in the right direction. Um, basically caught the goalie off guard every time. Well, that's awesome. Okay, that's a great insight. Right, thank <laughs> you for that one. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you went to Northland Pines high, uh, high School and you played on the high school team. Any memorable teammates that you had during that time while you were at Northland Pines? Uh, are you alluding to something? I'm alluding to something. Uh, yes. My Well, I played high school boys and then I ended up marrying one of my teammates. That was, we were in the same grade, but we did not date in high school. So, uh, you know, don't give me any ideas for all those girls listening. Okay. Uh, yep. So it was a, we were, we played on the same line actually uh, my senior year. And then we still joke about it because I got hit by this big football player in Mosinee and dislocated my shoulder. And then, mm -hmm. so I got off the line. Obviously, I was injured for a little while. And when I got brought back on, I got moved to the first line. So it was always the joke that I got taken off Mike's line and moved to the first line. But it was really just to balance it out. So it's just kind of a funny joke between us. Okay, gotcha. All right. And so then how did you end up getting recruited to um, Wisconsin by Mark Johnson? So I played with the Madison Capitals um, before and after season and then did all the national camps and uh, U18 camps and Waha and Central Districts. So for me, I think it was a, a long period of just being uh, watched throughout those, those processes. Obviously, Wisconsin um, does a good job at recruiting in the state of Wisconsin. For players like myself and Jesse Vetter and Mallory Peckles, as we're three of, we were all in the same grade, but we all played boys high school hockey in Wisconsin. It was a little bit harder because they didn't see us on a regular basis with like the Wisconsin high school hockey because it wasn't as, as developed as it is now. 
So those um, AAA Team Wisconsin, all that kind of situations were really important. So they saw me there. And then obviously um, we actually played against Mark Johnson's son in uh, my high school boys state tournament. Um, so I, I kind of joked that was before, um, oh no, that was after I had committed to Wisconsin and, and we beat them to end their season. So I was like, well, hopefully Mark was there to watch the game to know what I can do. Um, and then obviously I went there in uh, August of that same year. Gotcha. And so tell us your experience at Wisconsin. Um, you obviously had tremendous success while you were there, uh, both personally and as a team. Um, what were some of the keys to the, the team success winning the NCAA championship and, and I believe making it far, pretty far all four years that you were there? Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin was an unbelievable experience. Obviously, it was at the beginning end of kind of their success run. Um, you know, I got to play with players such as Molly Engstrom, who I coach with now, and Jackie Jackie Crum at Wisconsin. Um, they had kind of worked really hard to get us into the position where we were. My first year, we lost in the NCAA. I believe it was the quarterfinals. Um, but, you know, the success came from, I think, not only the leadership of Mark and Dan and Tracy at the time, um, but also just everybody really wanting to create a program that was going to make a difference. Obviously, every time we went into the, the Gopher Stadium at Ritter, they had that reputation. They had one national championship. We went into Duluth. It was the same thing. We were the underdog. So for that, you know, second and third year, kind of those first two national championships, kind of that desire to really knock them off and had nothing to lose. The entire team came together and and really put it all out there because there wasn't expectations of, oh, you have to win, you have to do this and that. Instead, it was always the, the mentality of that underdog. And that that really worked for our team. And um, going into Mariucci for the first Frozen Four, something I'll never forget, because obviously it was at the Gophers Stadium in their men's facility, but still the Gophers. Um, so it was in their backyard. They were, you know, kind of the reigning national champs. So we just had that mentality, let's beat them in their own backyard. Um, you know, they call themselves the state of hockey was kind of the joke. And, you know, we're going to we're going to take that from them. So I think all that energy, we had the right pieces in place, obviously, for the personnel that was playing. Jesse Vetter was, um, you know, just an unbelievable goalie, um, along with we had Megan Horace and Christine Dufour throughout my, my years. And, um, you know, that that was the game changer for us because you can't just go into a program and have, you know, some good offense. You have to be able to be solid in the defensive zone. And obviously translating to me coaching here at St. Cloud, that's that's kind of where we're working towards. So it's it was really fun. Um, it's an unbelievable um, campus, university there. Um, what they have now is very special. Um, and I, I love going back. Even if I'm on the other side of the bench, I love going back because everything about it. Yeah, they've gone from being the underdog to now being, you know, the <laughs> perennial leader uh, in the WCHA. Um, so uh, do you remember the longest game in your career? <laughs> I know you've talked about this before, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. maybe you can talk My, about the longest game in the career. Yeah, we were actually just talking about this the other day because at the time, um, it was actually, we had the largest crowd as well. We had broken crowd records. So we went um, for the quarterfinals for NCAA. We played Harvard, Julie Chu, but we played... Um, her team and we went zero zero so I kind of feel bad when I look back at it for the crowd like zero zero is such a boring game for four overtimes um, but we'll take it because we won with four overtimes <laughs> and, and do you want to describe how you guys won the game so if anyone has ever watched Sarah Bauer play um, Sarah Bauer was my center and I will give the majority of all my goal credits to Sarah Bauer because she's just a phenomenal um, player and person 
Um, she controlled the puck for probably 45 seconds in the zone. She was doing cutbacks and, you know, escape moves and stops and starts and all. And I just, my job was always to get open for, for Sarah. Um, you know, so I was actually in the slot. She was on the hash marks. She kind of came rolling up and I slid myself back and she fed that thing through like a needle. Um, and I just hammered a one T at the net and uh, won the game. So it was, it was a lot of credit to her. And obviously Jesse veteran net made a bajillion saves <laughs> in four, you know, four overtime, um, game, but a funny story that a lot of people actually don't know. So after we won, obviously there's the celebration of the pile. Well, Sarah Bauer is, was the most, um, petite player on our team and actually had some bruised ribs. I think she had two or three. I can't remember because she had smashed into our goalpost either the game before. So she came to celebrate with me and Megan Duggan because we were the first three there. And the whole pile jumped on top. And obviously I'm six one, I'm a big player, but she was at the bottom of it. And all I could think about it was, oh my gosh, we don't want to hurt Bauer. So I like kind of like arched myself like a turtle over her. And I was like, guys, we got to get off of her. <laughs> So it was, it was kind of funny because you were so excited, but then it was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hurt her because we got to go to the Frozen Four. Um, so that was kind of a funny side thing, but it was unbelievable. And it was time, um, daylight savings that day too. So by the time the game was over and you got out of the rink after cooling down and all that good stuff, I mean, it was like one or two in the morning. It was crazy. Wow. That's awesome. And, and I'm curious, how, how much time did you practice one-timers, you know, <laughs> before this? And how often did you actually get to use it in the game? Because this is, that's one of those, like, you know, I mean, unless you're Alex Ovechkin, you know, lining up on the half wall, you don't actually get to use it that often, but you spend a lot of time practicing it. So, did, did, you know, I think was, I was actually, a lot of time we, we practice them a lot. And I think because I played with Sarah Bauer and because I was that slot person on the power play and situations that we kind of played our end zone offense, um, Mark really helped me um, kind of transition and find that space. And Bauer was always able to find me. So I probably scored a good chunk of my goals on one timers. Actually, in the first championship in the Mariucci, one of those goals was on a one timer um, as well. So that was kind of one of the things that I was known for is is shooting those one tees. Um, and, you know, Bauer just just finding me and feathering it in there just the right speed that I'd always be able to, to hammer it. That's awesome. All right. So I thought I was going to be done, but fortunately, um, you know, I was able to rejoin and, and play uh, pro hockey in the Whitecaps. And again, it was very, it's funny because when you say pro hockey, I'm like, I didn't really play pro hockey, but at the time it was the very beginning of the Whitecaps, right? So we, we kind of were um, the first crew that went up to Canada and played a lot of the Canadian teams and went on a sleeper bus for like two weeks all over the place, which was really cool. Um, and then going into that world that next year before the Olympic tryouts, um, you know, had played a lot of hockey, recovered from my surgery and was really confident going into that and then actually got cut from the team um, going. And I believe that was the year they went to China and they won. Um, so obviously um, everybody's journeys are different. Mine included a lot of, um, a lot of roller coaster emotions as far as uh, finding my, my place. Um, but after that, you know, um, can we talk about that? So, yeah. you know, uh, we had Lindsay Fry on the podcast and we also had, uh, Hillary Witt and, uh, Aaron Hamlin, uh, who, yep. who also had major ups and downs with the national team. So, um, I'm curious, you know, what was the stress like of constantly, you know, kind of teeter tottering back and forth between, you know, you're thinking you're on the team to then you're, then you're off the team. What was, what was that like? And, and mentally, you know, what were the challenges that you had to overcome? It was, um, 
it was exhausting. I think for my, like, and I think a lot of this came from playing um, men's hockey. I was very much a player that wanted, uh, you know, kind of told exactly what they expected of me. And if they cut me, I wanted a reason. Um, and that's not how it works, obviously. And now being a coach, I understand that you, you don't get reasons for everything. You know, a lot of it is your uh, performance on the ice, but then it's also a lot of off the ice and whether it was testing numbers or, um, you know, anything really, it just kind of depended what they were looking for. So the roller coaster for me was very exhausting, I think would be the best way. I mean, there's as every athlete, there was a lot of times of just questioning whether or not to continue, um, questioning not whether or not it was worth it, just because as a female, you're not getting paid a lot. Um, you barely are making it by, uh, you want to play the game, but you're also trying to balance a, a job. Um, and is it worth it? And, you know, it's, um, something that I wish I could have played a little bit longer, but you know, everything happens for a reason. And it gave me a lot of experience to be able to pass on to my players, but being cut, uh, I think it brought out more frustration and anger in me than, um, anything just because of the situations and knowing that, I had had a good camp, I think is why those frustrations came when, you know, when you play bad or whatever, it's like, we didn't deserve to lose, to win the game or I didn't deserve to, to make that team. Yeah. But when you, you play really well um, and you, you know, put up the numbers that you need and you put up the testing scores that you need, then it's just asking the questions, well, why? And not getting those answers, which is always really hard, but it's just part of, um, you know, being a part of that professional uh, USA uh, kind of group it's you have to treat it as a job and it was something that um, took a lot of maturity for me to kind of get past to then want to rejoin and come to that June camp going into the Olympic trials because there's a, a pretty strong emotions not wanting to continue after that last cut and fortunately funny story that you probably don't know um, talk about it, your your wedding and your honeymoon yeah <laughs> okay go for it <laughs> So um, obviously I got cut, I got cut on my birthday in March um, before the Olympic tryouts and then went home and I was like, I'm done, done with hockey. <laughs> and my fiance at the time was like, no, you're not. You're very close to making the Olympic team. He, and he was like, it's like six months more, just, you know, grind it out. I'll help you. We'll just train this and that. So um, I was like, fine, but we had our wedding plan for June 6. And then in, I think it was April, I got the invitation to June camp. And I was, it was two days after our, our wedding. And I was like, nope, officially done. <laughs> I'm not going. And um, thankfully, obviously the support group I had um, with my family and, and my fiance at the time was like, no, you're going to go. It's going to be great. And it was, it ended up my mentality changed. And I think that changed the way I played as well. I was more um, carefree and just kind of just went for the love of the game instead of about making a team, not making a team. And then I had an unbelievable tryout in August and, and unfortunately. And, and, and this was two days after your wedding, right? Did you had to <laughs> yeah. go to, yes, okay, yeah. great. So two days after our wedding, I jumped on a plane and I left for a week. So it was, it was fun. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, on that 2010 team, um, obviously you guys won silver. A uh, couple of your teams. Correction though, people say this, we lost gold, but carry on. <laughs> of course um so a couple of your teammates just retired uh last week and i believe today is the uh three-year anniversary of them winning uh, gold winning gold in uh in pyeongchang uh yep. talk about playing with the lamru twins because they are pretty impressive yep um 
uh, I don't know what, what to say about uh, Monique and Jocelyn. They're uh, competitors more than anything else, I think, um, being um, raised with all their brothers as well as kind of that competitive drive that they have. And, and they play like, like men do as well. And they just, uh, they compete their asses off and um, they're hard to play against. They're physical, um, they're demanding and they, they have that, that drive. So um, they're, under, they're, they're fantastic hockey players. Um, they've done a lot for the game, especially out um, in North Dakota. And um, yeah, we're, we're grateful for them. It's fun to watch them transition into motherhood because um, obviously a bunch of my teammates have now gone through it. And I was fortunate to be kind of one of the first in that wave of the 2010, Jesse Vetter and I. Um, so it's been fun to kind of watch them slide into it because then they played for a little while with the little ones. And I was like, gosh, I wish I could have done that. And then as it kind of transitions, you kind of see, you know, our priorities change. Um, and, and I can't speak for them, but I know for me, the priorities change from everything to that sport to now everything is wrapped up in your little ones. Um, so that's, it's been fun, fun to watch that transition through, through social media and through just watching and, and hearing them, them talk. Gotcha. Thanks. All right. Thanks for uh, for sharing your thoughts on them. Um, all right. So after the Olympic Games, uh, I, I have to bring up one other one for okay, the go, Megan go for Duggan it. one. Okay, go for it. Because Megan Duggan and I share something in common. And do you know what it is? Um, you both played on the Olympic team with our with our families. <laughs> oh no, I do not know that one. That, that was not in my both research. Both of our both of our boys are leaplings. Uh, February 29th birthdays. Yep. That's awesome. So my son is going to be five this year and her son's going to be one, but they share the same birthday. So actually this year they don't have a birthday. Okay. Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, I joke with Sarah Bauer that now she has to have a leafling baby as well because we were all wine mates. But um, <laughs> Megan Duggan having her little one um, on leap year last year was pretty cool. After you came back from the Olympics, um, uh, you know, when did you decide that you wanted to get into coaching and, and how did that transition happen and why? Um, I think when I came back, Really, it was, you know, obviously the high of the Olympics, obviously the disappointment of the loss, but sharing the experience that we had and even the loss experience of all the good that can still come from it. So I took a good period of time that spring and I worked random jobs at the golf course and horse stables and like wherever, speaking events and just trying to help kids understand um, the overcoming adversity and, you know, um, the good that came from even the loss for me. Um, but so the transition kind of naturally came. I had always run summer hockey camps. So I continued to run those um, kind of throughout the state of Wisconsin. And then that fall, I got asked to help out with, you know, whether it was traveling the hockey teams or um, we were living um, just outside of Milwaukee at the time. And I was, I was helping with the U14 girls team. And I just wanted to stay involved in the game in whatever way I could. And at that time, I was also still playing. So you know, you, everybody takes a break after the Olympics and then you kind of rejoin going into August and then November for Four Nations. So I was still training and then coaching and then I went to Four Nations uh, that November and then I was training and went to the Christmas camp. And then unfortunately after the Christmas camp, it, my, my career kind of ended. But, um, you know, I had a passion to help uh, younger players and I still do. I absolutely love running camps and working with young female athletes. And what was the experience uh, coaching high school, uh, Arrowhead High School in uh, Heartland, Wisconsin? I believe you did that for three years. What was, what yeah, was that like? It was, uh, it was interesting because obviously I had been a part of a lot of camp situations where, you know, you have the kids for a couple days or a week or maybe it's every Tuesday for, you know, a month. Um, so it was a good um, kind of 
taste for me of what coaching was like and that you kind of look at more of the overall picture. It's not just, um, you know, working on somebody's shots and that's it. So I didn't originally want to be the head coach because I wanted to learn and I wanted to um, be under somebody who had more experience. And I was really kind of mentored by um, some of our, my, my now friends in that area and, and kind of mentored by the men's coach at the time and just really trying to learn um, by trial and error with those high school kids. But it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a great group of girls. It was fun to be there for the, for the three years because I could see the development. Um, it was also very challenging because um, you know, girls hockey still, um, at that time, especially, um, not where, where it should be or where it is now. Um, so we had first year kids coming out, uh, you know, kids that only played for a couple of years. So, and then you have, uh, somebody else on the team that, you know, is looking to go play college hockey. So there was a, a, a very large span of skill, um, which made it really challenging, which also was part of the fun. Um, but it, it was, it was challenging. And uh, on a previous podcast, we had Sarah Reichenbach from Maine, who works with her husband, um, who's the head coach at Maine. What was it like working with your husband as, where he was the assistant coach and you were the head coach in that third year? I mean, I love working um, with Mike. He's, he's very knowledgeable in the game. He played uh, Division Three at MSOE through and, and played juniors down in Dubuque. So, um, I mean, he's, he's very smart. He has um, the patience of a saint. So he um, kind of sees when my competitive drive is like elevating and he can kind of bring me back down um, in real life as well. Um, but especially on the bench, that was fun to kind of work with him um, because he also is very experienced on the defensive side where defense to me uh, at the high level, it was like, you know, I didn't really pay attention to necessarily what the D were doing in the drills just because as a, as a player, it's not my job. Like you do your thing, I'll do my thing. So it was nice to have his um, kind of knowledge on that end and then also learn from, from him. So uh, it was fun. <laughs> and, and it was good that you two complimented each other, both from a, you know, positionally <laughs> and from a personality perspective. We're still together, so it worked. <laughs> uh, uh, clearly. And uh, and then you made uh, the choice to go into Division One, and you went to Robert Morris. You moved to Pittsburgh, I'm assuming, for a year. So uh, why did you make that choice, and what was that experience like as an associate coach there? Yeah, so kind of obviously after my um, playing career kind of ended, and then uh, kind of coach at Arrowhead while my husband finished school. Um, I knew that there was, um, after the, the 2014 Olympics, there was going to be another wave of college um, coaching jobs available and that those women that played on that team, if they wanted to get into coaching, not that they would get first dibs, but there was going to be another wave. So I really felt like I needed to take the opportunity before that next wave hit. Well, I was still able to. Um, so I kind of went after um, the division one jobs and there weren't a lot available. So um, I felt very good about going to um, Robert Morris. Um, and it was a great experience. Um, Paul Colantino did a fantastic job just kind of getting me into my first job, um, really teaching me and mentoring me. And we had planned to stay longer. Um, the original, everybody's original plans for their life obviously change. Um, but when there was an opening in the WCHA and believe it or not, I always wanted to coach at St. Cloud. Um, so as soon as that kind of opened up, I, I absolutely wanted to go after that to, to not only be in the WCHA, but to be back in Minnesota um, and, and close to home. Right. And, and so what was it about St. Cloud that was so appealing to you? Honestly, um, I think it's because of the potential that it had here and still has. Um, I didn't want to go into a program that was already super successful because I think 
also in the beginning of your coaching career, you're setting yourself up um, for kind of failure. If you, you jump into a program that's on the top, I wanted to be a part of the, the growth and the development. Um, so that, and also the fact of its location, um, obviously it was when North Dakota was still here, but kind of, we're kind of right in the middle, um, of our leagues. So the travel's really nice. It's outside of the twin cities, but it's not, um, it's not in the city. I can enjoy the city without living in the city. Like we live on a couple acres and have, have chickens and dogs. And, um, I didn't want to live in a city. Like I'm not a city girl at all, but my husband loves going to the city. So being able to be close enough to it. And St. Cloud's a, a really big city itself. I mean, there's 60, 67,000 people here in just St. Cloud. And then obviously we have almost 200,000 people in the surrounding. So it, it, can, it feels small, um, but you still have the resources of a, a larger uh, community. Great. Let, let's just talk about the you know facilities that you have with the hockey program, the uh, Herb Brooks uh, National Hockey Center. Uh, I believe that um, you know a lot of the women's national camps are actually held at uh, your facilities uh, for USA Hockey Development. Um, just just talk about the facilities that you have and and just what it's like for you know to to develop there at at, at the program. Yeah, so St. Cloud is just an hour outside of the Twin Cities. Like I said, it's along right along the Mississippi River, which I absolutely love. I love the fact that it's secluded. You don't have main highways going through campus. It kind of backs up to that that river. Um, and I just, any body of water and hearing water just is lovely. <laughs> um, you know, for the campus itself, you know, we have just under 13,000 people here. So it's a fairly, um, they categorize it as a um, middle-sized um, camp, campus, but I consider after going to Wisconsin, like it, it's small. Um, so it's, it's nice as far as you walk around and you can recognize faces, but you don't see the same people every day. Um, but you also don't get lost, um, you know, in the size. It only takes 10 minutes to walk uh, from the Herbert Center, which is where I'm right now, up to the furthest side of campus. Um, the facilities are right on campus, which is really nice. So just north of where we're sitting in your backdrop is the rink. If you look straight behind you is where campus would be. So you walk basically up you know, a couple hundred yards and yeah, you move up to campus. So folks the listening campus. on the podcast, uh, she's referring to my Zoom background with the rink. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's the uh, facilities right behind the arena she's referring to. Yep. Yep. So it's, I mean, there's um, over 200 majors and 50 graduate programs here. And um, the class size I really like, it's, uh, you know, with an average of 25 kids per class. Some, obviously, depending on the student athletes, some people like that and some people don't. For me, I love the smaller classes because being a student athlete, um, you know, you need to know your professors and any student athlete knows that when you travel Thursdays and Fridays uh, every week, that professor needs to know, you know, how you're doing in the class, what you need to do, um, and they need to know your first name. So the class sizes are really nice for our athletes here, um, really good communication with them and being the only division one programs here, uh, which is men's and women's hockey, um, it's nice as well because, you know, not that they're like more important because that's not it at all. It just, it, it adds a different level of commitment because our season literally runs the entire year. I mean, they get here in August, they start training and we train spring training all the way through um, April. So it's, it's all year long. Gotcha. And let me ask you this. Do you have to uh, have played at Wisconsin and played in the Olympics <laughs> to become an associate head coach at uh, St. Cloud State? <laughs> It's funny, right? We, we roped Molly into coming here two years ago, and uh, I would have never thought I had another Wisconsin former uh, teammate here, but um, it's fantastic to have, to have her and her knowledge. And it just shows a lot about um, Wisconsin's program 
and how they turn around athletes that want to get involved in the, in the program um, and just in the sport and just love it. So I, I think it's, it shows and represents a lot on, on Wisconsin. And so let's, let's talk about the coaching staff. So there's you, there's Molly, and there's also the head coach, Steve McDonald, who's from Winnipeg. Um, and talk about uh, how you divide responsibilities, what you're like as a coaching staff, uh, you know, what kind of culture you're trying, are you building there at, at you know, at, at St. Cloud State? I think the biggest and most important thing that we focus on every single day is how can we get better? Um, and obviously I've been here for seven years and there's been a ton of growth in the seven years and there's still a lot of growth to be to be had and every program is going to say that they need to continue to get better every day um, but that's really one focus that we um, we think about every day as we we do practices and we have a lot of knowledge within the three of us and um, I would consider um, all of our experiences very different. So I think it, it, it works well to bring them together um, and figure out how to direct the ladies. So um, I specifically work with the forwards. Um, I do a lot of the skill, still for, skill focused and, and scoring, um, you know, drills. And then Molly specifically works obviously with the D, but then also she does a phenomenal job working with the power skating. So, um, you know, I, I think um, having us to um, kind of is helps helps Steve really um, connect with the players in different ways. Obviously, there's the being female is a is a huge piece to having female um, assistant coaches um, working with them so they can connect, but also having our experience being able to to allow us freedom to to focus in on those areas. So so we really really enjoy. I mean, I jump on that ice early. Uh, so does Molly. Um, every day um, working on something and it's funny because it's always optional and one or two player will request it and I literally will look down the line and it's like 10 girls are, are there so they want to get better um, we're here to help them get better um, and it's it's been so fun to watch the growth specifically this year even more than other years but um, this year with that much more um, you know ice available and less focus on games early in the year help their development. And, and how do you, in, in a traditional year, um, how do you balance winning with player development? Uh, especially, like, like, you have a pretty young team this year. Um, you know, how do you make those choices of, you know, when to either sit some players or when to put players out who, who may are, are putting into new situations that may actually, you know, cause you to lose a game or, or make a game closer than it should be? Yeah, I think, um, obviously, a lot of that, the skill development has to happen in game-like situations. So, you know, maybe it's before the games or on uh, an open day or an extra ice session that we're working on. Maybe it's cutbacks or, or puck possession, but then being able to put them in situations that are game-like, they can, that they can use those skills, um, allows us to see what players are ready um, to do that in the game. And there's always a fine line of who to throw out when. And that is um, with a program that's developing, you know, you can't take a ton of risk. So practice is, is vital to put the players in those game-like situations so you know how they're going to respond. Because if you don't know how they're going to respond, when the Badgers are flying at you, <laughs> you got to be careful who you're throwing out there. So it's fun to watch them incorporate the skills, the skill work that we've worked so hard on or the shooting or whatever it is into a drill. But you also have to be very specific about how you're planning those drills so that they can do that because if 
if um, whether it's the pace of it or or whatever, if it takes away the opportunity to be creative, then they're not not they're not going to be creative. Um, so being able to do that is is probably the hardest part about our job um, on a daily basis because we do have a lot of development happening, but we have to be able to allow them to make those decisions on their own and not force them. You know, not starting a drill with you have to do this. Instead, here's the freedom. What are they going to do? And sometimes they do it, sometimes they don't, but they have to read that situation, which is nice. And so that then relates to uh, what do you like during a game when things are going well and things aren't going well behind the bench? Like, how do you react to, uh, um, you know, basically either mistakes by your players, mistakes by the referees, or just the overall score just not being where, where, where you'd like it to be? I think um, I don't say a lot on the bench. Um, I am a big believer that a lot of the coaching needs to happen during the week. Um, if there's different little points that I know can can change um, the next shift, then obviously um, that has to be said. Um, but for me, um, depending on the call, obviously, um, you have to get after the refs a little bit just because um, of the players as well. It's standing up for your players and also having them believe that you're standing up for them. Um, and because it could change the game, whether it's they're not calling something, somebody could get hurt, or they you know, are calling too much and not letting them play. Because um, then the players also hear what you say on the bench. So also being cautious about saying too much because they feed off of your energy and your vibe. So obviously staying positive, but not being the cheerleader because they can sense what's fake. So there's always a fine line of them feeling your energy um, and going after, but also, you know, holding them accountable to um, their actions as well. And, and, you know, letting them kind of know when they need to sharpen up a little bit. Okay. And so now let's move into the recruiting side of things. So I happen to know St. Cloud State because I'm originally from Montreal and I know a lot of the Montreal Canadians prospects like Charlie Lindgren, um, uh, the Paling brothers, and, and here in the Bay Area, Brett Hedekin, who actually just uh, announced yesterday that he graduated from St. Cloud State finally uh, over this past summer as he finished his degree over Zoom. So I, I know St. Cloud State from that, but it's not really one of the more well-known uh, Division I uh, hockey teams uh, relative to Minnesota, Wisconsin, Cornell, etc. So what are you guys doing to kind of build your brand and build the program's reputation? Uh, you're consistently right around nine or ten wins per year. And you have a very young team this year. So, you know, I'm assuming you, you kind of have a plan to kind of, um, you know, uh, see the growth over the coming few years. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously when you're growing a program, and like I said, I've been here seven years, and it, it doesn't feel like that, but it's, you're going to have your highs and your lows. Um, you're going to have seasons that you have more wins um, than others, and, and those close games um, are showing growth. And, and for us, um, defensively our goalie is a huge piece to our program really um, being able to make that next step because we do spend a lot of time in our defensive zone when we're playing you know the Gophers the Badgers um, I think this year specifically I mean we have I think it's about 12 underclassmen so freshmen and sophomores eight just freshmen um, it's it's massive amount of young players playing huge minutes for us um, and it's exciting because they're all really pushing each other to get better so um, for us, you know, as we continue to grow and develop, it, it comes back to those practice situations where we're not just practicing to win that game. We're practicing to get better as a team. Um, and yes, there's certain things will change going into a series because we want to beat, you know, whoever it is. Like this weekend, we're playing Bemidji. So there's going to be certain things that we're going to do a little bit different in, in laying out practice. Um, and the players might not even know it, um, but to make sure that we're ready for Bemidji. Um, but ultimately we're getting better as a hockey team. 
So whether that's good stick on puck, whether that's good back checking, whether that's getting our shots on the net or having somebody in the shooting area, um, those pieces of our game are super, um, super important. And one that I preach to the forwards a lot, um, and actually yesterday they did such a good job and it's like all year I've been preaching this and finally you're starting to listen is, you know, that screen first tip, second rebound, third mentality. Cause so many times they go and they're just looking for the tip or, or they go and they don't take the goalie's eyes away. Um, you know, those are the habits that if they can build those in the next year, we don't have to harp on that. We can do something else. It's just going to continue to grow. And we have a lot of our players this year that um, have pushed themselves in their development um, and push the level of, of compete, um, not being happy with a loss or a close game. Like that's just not acceptable to be happy with that. Um, but instead it's, it's that mentality of, you know, we, we were in that game. Like, for example, we played the Badgers. We were 2-2 with a minute 23 left or whatever it was. It's not good enough just to be 2-2 with the Badgers with minute 25. What happened at the end of the game? We had a turnover at the blue line. We had a bad blow wheel <laughs> in the corner. And then it was a breakdown. It was a breakdown not only from one player. It was a breakdown from, from five players, six players with the goalie on the ice that caused them to score with a minute 23. So what can we do mentally to prepare our players for that situation? Um, and that's going to help us grow our program. And correct me if I'm wrong, that, that was still pretty impressive coming back from the, the game before where you had lost <laughs> by a, a touchdown and a field goal. Is that, <laughs> we won't even talk about that. One. I don't know what team showed up. That, that wasn't my team. All right. So cool. Um, so how, so you're, you're talking about this now. How has COVID affected your season? Um, obviously a lot less games, um, but more from a – uh, you know, development standpoint and from just, you know, running the program, like managing the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's for everybody, not just hockey, there's positive and there's negatives of COVID. I, I think some of our positives have really been our development. Um, we have a different strength trainer this year who has pushed our players um, in the weight room um, and just done an amazing job in their development and their strength. So we had kind of a longer preseason, which allowing them the weights that almost um, felt like summer, felt like summer training for them, which that was a positive, um, especially because we have eight freshmen. Um, and as everybody knows, you come in your freshman year and you aren't close to where everybody else is as far as in the weight room. So um, that would be a, definitely be a positive. Um, uh, negatives obviously are the unknowns and it's constant unknowns and trying to teach our players to be adaptable and also us being adaptable, um, you know, with schedule changes and separate groups on and off the ice. They can't even be with their whole team, um, limited outside contact, like telling them they can't see their families, their families not being able to come. Like that was just so challenging for us um, because we, you know, all have our own opinions um, aside from the rink and all are trying to live our lives as well. So that was challenging. I mean, I just got off of a quarantine for seven days because of you know, my kid being potentially exposed. So, you know, it's always those changes. So it goes from one week of everything feels normal. And then the next week, nobody's in the office, nobody's anywhere. <laughs> so I think that was really hard, but also trying to be, what can we keep um, that's consistent for the players? Like, what can we do to help them manage the highs and lows? Um, and that uh, for us has been the most challenging part. Um, but also it's, I think, brought our team the closest together. I think the, um, you know, um, resilience of our program, of our, our players is, is phenomenal this year and how close-knit they are. Um, and that's something that I think is a lot to 
to do with COVID. Gotcha. And so now let's move kind of then the impact on recruiting. Um, any pr uh, perspective on how this will affect recruiting for the coming years, especially for like the 2022s and 2023s? Um, you know, you know, maybe you know something about your your seniors coming back for an extra year, et cetera, et cetera. What, what's your perspective? And maybe more at the WCHA level, not necessarily your team of what your perspective is on how this COVID is going to affect recruiting going forward for the next year or two. You know, um, my heart goes out to like, not only our players with the challenges they've felt but those in the recruiting because everybody kind of got into a normal behavior with recruiting right like with the rules you know your ninth and your tenth you can't have contact you kind of move into that junior year june 15th and you can make phone calls and have all your visits planned and then you know your seniors you're signing your nlis and you're like so all that normalcy was gone um you know we could still make phone calls to the 11th graders but now you know you aren't seeing any players play in live and then a lot of it is was based off of video or live streaming or whatever it was or just stats that they're trying to put up so that coaches can see and I, I think um for the recruit I mean it, it's changed the landscape completely um and I feel for those players because that normalcy is gone and I think what the result has been is a lot of anxiety with those players of oh my gosh I'm gonna miss my chance no I'm not gonna find a spot I'm gonna have to PG and all these and it's just like I, I just want them to just play, just be thankful that they're playing like we are and enjoy the sport and not worry about the rest because ultimately it's all gonna, it's all gonna sort itself out and there's going to be room or not room or whatever. But I think there's so much built up that's adding more stress to all those recruits instead of just being like, just don't stress. Like we're all trying to figure out what the balance is between safety with covid and not playing or not recruiting it's, it's like it's trying to figure out like should we wear masks on the ice should we not wear masks should we quarantine should we do a bubble should we like and i think all that is just adding more stress to those players so from the recruiting side you know obviously we abide with by all the recruiting rules and it's just got pushed back again to june one and it's hard to to see that happen for those players um but there's a reason those those rules are put in place for the safety of the student athletes, and um, it will all sort itself out at the end. Yeah. Um, can, can I actually ask you a pre-COVID recruiting question? So, yeah. um, uh, playing in the WCHA uh, and competing for you know players who are coming coming in through uh, North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin. You know, what's it like recruiting against those big? big name brand name teams and you know I see you have a player from Norway on your team like are you um you know do you look elsewhere beyond just your backyard for players because of the competition and the uh you know the the, the attractiveness of some of these big 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 name programs yeah obviously the recruiting for every school is different because every school is different um so it's you know depending on location or depending on size or depending on where they are in the standings or whatever like all that plays into recruiting um, and you know we we really love recruiting Europeans um, you know we have a good handful of them we've always had Europeans on our team since I've been here which was a new experience for me because Wisconsin didn't um, and doesn't have Europeans so I think that was um, eye-opening to me and was an amazing um, just amazing teaching moment for me like 
Europeans are amazing. Like everything about them, their personalities, what they're giving up to come overseas. Um, you know, we had Janine Alder, who was a two-time Olympian and just the most inspirational person I've ever met. And I've, I've told her that multiple times, like learning from them as well. Um, and they've added to our team. They don't care. Not that they don't care. They, they are grateful to come over and play hockey and they want to get better. Um, so for us, it's been great because when we're developing a program, you know, we might not get those big top, you know, U18 players. And that's okay because if they don't want to come play here, they shouldn't. Um, we want players that want to come here and want to get better. Um, and it's all about the um, relationships for us and telling them where we're at, where we see them fitting and being honest with them. So they also come here and they don't get any surprises because I think the worst thing in recruiting is when you, you know, sell a recruit something that's not really the reality. Um, and then when they come, they're disappointed. So um, I think being honest with recruits about where our program's at, where we see them fitting, but also opportunities. I mean, like I said, we have eight freshmen. Every single freshman on the team is playing. You know, not every freshman at the Gophers or the Badgers are playing. So being honest with them as far as that and opportunities that they're given, I think is a big, a big piece to our recruiting. Gotcha. And when you're going to showcases or um, camps or tournaments, what is it that stands out to you in a player? What is it you're looking looking to see? Um, not just you, but in any coach, you know. I mean, in, I like the six foot one girls. <laughs> um, I do. I do tend to gravitate towards players um, that it, were either like are like me or um, have some of the mentality of me. But I mean, it's different for everybody. Um, I specifically, um, I love a player that shoots the puck. Um, I love a player that can control the puck, but you also, there's a lot to it um, of players that don't have the puck. What are they doing without the puck? What are they doing on the bench? What's their body language? Um, are they communicating with their teammates? So there's so much that goes in and it, all, it depends on the year. What kind of players are you looking for? Because, you know, are you looking for more of a playmaker or goal scorer, or do you need just a solid stay home D? Do you want a D that rushes the play? Um, it, it, it's so different. Um, so when I watch a game and on video, it's sometimes challenging because um, you can't see all of that. Um, but you can see um, at least more than you used to be able to. The videos are better now than they used to be. <laughs> gotcha. So what, what advice would you have to a player or a parent who is, you know, uh, you know going from you know, grade 10 or grade 11 and looking at their options? What advice would you have right now for them in these uh, crazy COVID times? I think um, my biggest advice would be for them to be patient. Like coaches understand what they're going through as well. Um, I just want to encourage them to not get anxious about it or worried about finding that spot. Um, but instead just focus on what they can control. So focus on their development in the classroom as well as on and off the ice um, and just control what they can control. Um, mm -hmm. There's nothing else we can really do about the situation <laughs> <laughs> all right looking last question before uh, we talk about you know opportunities to connect with st cloud state um looking back on your playing career uh what would you do differently or what advice would you give your younger self i would love to go back It'd be so fun um i would i would have done so much more training on my weaker areas of like i think i worked a lot on my shooting and, and stuff that I was already pretty good at. Um, but my small area of my games, like my skating, um, you know, my stick handling, stuff like that, I just kind of avoided. <laughs> um, so I would, I would have worked harder. Um, and that being not, um, 
worked harder in the times it wasn't required. So whether before practice or after practice or jumped on the bike and worked on my conditioning, I would have worked um, and used my resources better. Um, you know, our players here, we really encourage them to use their resources and do an extra weight room session with our, our trainer or do an extra ice session with our coaches. And I don't feel like I used our coaches and our weight trainers to um, their full potential when I was at Wisconsin. And even with the U.S. team, I think I, I you get stuck into like, what's on the schedule? Okay, I have lift and I have practice and then I'm done. Um, but really thinking of it outside the box and what actually do I need to work on? Yeah. How can I work on that? Yeah, you're, you're very clearly into the details. That, that, that is very clear from this conversation. <laughs> that, that it's all about little, doing a lot of little things really well. So that, yeah. that, that's a really good insight. Um, all right, so St. Cloud State, if uh, folks are interested in you know, learning more about the, uh, the program, uh, do you have any camps coming up this summer? Uh, is there a questionnaire they can fill out? What, what's, how, how can folks cool. uh, get on your radar? So we'll be doing actually our first camper camp this uh, this summer. So we were still ironing out the details, but we're mid-August uh, here in, in St. Cloud. And obviously those, when they do do the national camp again, um, being at our campus and facility um, has been great um, to an extent, as long as they don't count the food and the experience that they have at national camp. Some people come to national camp and maybe they had a bad experience because of you know, they got cut from a team or they didn't make what, so then they print and print that on St. Cloud. Mm. Um, but it's a great opportunity for people to see our facilities, our two Olympic size sheets right here on, on campus, our brand new weight room. Um, obviously that's a huge piece. Um, but then to us starting camps and then being able to interact with our players, our players work a lot of the camps. And I think that's a huge piece to finding the right program is talking to players that have played there or are playing there um, because they're going to tell you everything. So there's no hiding the truth from speaking with the players and what experience they're having. Because um, obviously, as you talk to even Jackie and I playing at Wisconsin, um, you can sense the level of respect we have for the program. Um, and that, that shows even more than anyone can tell you about how good Wisconsin is. It's hearing the testimonies about it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if folks want to get on your radar, do you have a questionnaire on your website? How can folks uh, reach out to you? Yeah, they have a questionnaire through um, the, the website through the Women's Hockey Team. Great. And if folks want to follow you guys on social media, are you guys on Instagram, uh, Twitter? We are. We're on my, all the media platforms. So we have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, I don't know what it is. It's SCSU Women's Hockey, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Janelle, hey, I really want to thank you so much for coming on the Champs App Podcast. This is great. I mean, there's some wonderful insights, especially around the technical details of the game. And then obviously your journey and your experience has been, uh, it's been great to hear all, the, all your stories. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I want to thank Janelle for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear her advice for players and parents, and also some of the details she focuses on as a coach that she took from when she was a player. And remember, if you got something out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like, follow, subscribe, and even better, if you could leave us a review so we can keep sharing this important hockey information with folks just like you.